In this episode, Maggie and I talked to Dr. Obrey Hendricks about his book, Christians Against Christianity. We talked about how right-wing evangelical Christians have lost their way and have become a dangerous force in the U.S. We talked about what Jesus said being a follower of Christ is all about, which is social justice and loving your neighbor as yourself. Dr. Hendricks talks to us about the undercurrent of racism that has surfaced again with the election of Donald Trump. In the end, he talks about the hope he has for America and what we as followers of Christ can do. This was an eye-opening conversation about a timely and crucially important topic. We hope you enjoyed as much as we did. Today we have with us Dr. Obery M. Hendricks, Jr. And Dr. Hendricks is a best-selling author, an activist, a religious scholar, a former theological seminary president, and an ordained elder in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. His books include The Politics of Jesus, Rediscovering the True Revolutionary Nature of Jesus' Teachings and How They Have Been Corrupted, The Universe Bends Toward Justice, Radical Reflections on the Bible, the Church, and the Body Politic, and his most recent book that we'll be discussing today, Christians Against Christianity, How Right-Wing Evangelicals Are Destroying Our Nation and Our Faith. He currently teaches religion and African-American studies at Columbia University and Yale University. Thank you for being with us today, Dr. Hendricks. It's my pleasure. It's really my pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. You're welcome. Well, the way we like to start out uh, with all of our guests, guests is just to kind of get an idea of, um, of your faith background. Uh, so if you would just kind of give us a, a short history of um, where you uh, have been with regards to the church and, and your faith and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, I, I grew up, uh, I was born in Farmville, Virginia. My family migrated north to Newark, New Jersey. Uh, and the schools in Farmville, Virginia were closed for five years uh, rather than desegregate them at the behest of Jerry Falwell and his, uh, his minions. And um, <clears throat> so I grew up in New Jersey and in the, the Baptist church, Calvary Baptist Church was a wonderful church family, a wonderful community. I left the church to get involved in um, black radical uh, activism in my teens. And uh, then I went to, after college, I went to Wall Street, all places. <clears throat> it's a great education of uh, what not to do, what not to be. And uh, I got a real, uh, I got a pretty good understanding of the workings of capitalism and its deleterious effects on community and on personal spirit. And uh, I ended up, when my father, Past, I was 33 and speaking at his funeral in the pulpit, I, did, I realized that my site of service and struggle really was the church. So I came back to the church and um, eventually joined the AME church. And I'm an ordained elder in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Um, and um, my field is, uh, well, it's formally 
religions of late antiquity, but um, I focus on early Christianity and New Testament. And uh, so that's where I am. I love that. Can you tell us a little bit about what drew you to the AME church? Like what it was about the Baptist church that drew you away and then into the AME church? I met a woman who was a clergy in AME church and she introduced me to the church. We became friends and eventually married. She's my ex-wife, but we're still the best of friends. She's an extraordinary woman. So she introduced me to the AME church and I looked at its history um, and all that it accomplished in years past. And I saw a great deal of potential um, in, in, uh, in the present moment for really being involved in the struggle to make America more just and loving and healthy place. And so that's what, what drew me to it, the fact that it is, unlike the Baptist church, it is a, um, it is a, a centralized denomination, which means that, uh, that it's the resources, um, not just material resources, but it's, it's spiritual and political resources can be you know, brought together um, on a worldwide basis to focus on issues. So that's why I joined the, uh, the AME Church. Mm-hmm. So I, I really appreciate uh, what you said about the AME Church being uh, uh, very concerned with justice, social justice issues, um, as opposed to um, the Baptist Church. I grew up in the Baptist Church as well, Southern Baptist all my life until, well, not all my life, but about up to about 10 years ago, I was involved in Southern Baptist Church. It is is really sad to me to see how, um, and you get into this in your book, uh, Christians Against Christianity, about how the the evangelical church seems so not just indifferent to social justice, but just opposed to it, actively opposed to it. And so um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Um, and in in your book, you get into some really great discussions about the the Hebrew and Greek terminology for justice and it's really great and and so if you could just kind of talk around that issue a little bit yeah martin luther king was baptist right and uh civil rights movement was you know was uh the baptists were greatly participatory in that and so you know there's nothing wrong about the baptist church the black baptist church anyway um just just (laughs) the amy church is a connection you know, as a connection shirts, and I just saw more um, more opportunity to uh, to engage in in uh, social justice act- activity. And when I talk about there's a legacy in the AME Church, which um, we we saw in the uh, the 19th century, early 20th century of of of, uh, of of political struggle. It sort of waned for some time. But in the last couple of decades, it, we've really seen it reassert itself. So I don't want to proffer the fiction of, you know, of, of, of any denomination having been, um, you know, progressive and uh, consistently. But, you know, as you know, there's a difference between Baptists writ large and, and the Southern Baptists. And uh, the Southern Baptist denomination, as, as you know, it might be one of the reasons you're no longer Southern Baptist, but the Southern Baptist is a convention, you know, um, it began um, in support of racism and white supremacy, and it still has an underpinning of that, uh, you know, as reflected in his 
um, support of uh, of a uh, of, of a vile, hateful, racist uh, for president. When we talk about the evangelical church being opposed social justice, cons 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 uh, opposed to progressive change, you know, we're talking about, of course, right wing evangelicals because they are, you know, centrist and they're progressive and left wing evangelicals. You know, for instance, Jim Wallace and, and folk like that, um, uh, William Barber, you know, they're evangelicals. They're okay. Yeah. Progressive. Um, and so we're talking about right wing evangelicalism, which um, is sort of a departure from the historic roots of evangelicalism. Because as you probably know, evangelicalism was a progressive force for many years in the 19th century. Most, most um, abolitionists were evangelicals and the evangelicals were behind the, uh, the many of the social movements in the early part of the, of, of the century. But it was with the, when Franklin Roosevelt became president, what Franklin Roosevelt started was he affected a sort of a sea change in philosophy of government prior to, to him, government philosophy was laissez-faire. You know, they didn't, there was no sense of responsibility to the poorest and the least of these social safety net or anything like that. And the government was fully uh, enthralled to and mostly focused on the interests of the rich and controlled by interests of the rich. Well, Franklin Roosevelt changed that. He started focusing on those who weren't rich and who were in, in need. And so the, the rich, the rich capitalists, particularly the DuPont brothers and those you know, the really rich capitalists um, resented that uh, quite a bit. They, they came out and said it. And so they um, enlisted some clergy, uh, evangelical clergy, particularly um, this uh, Reverend Feifeld from California who began this organization, Spiritual Mobilization, which really has nothing to do with spir spirituality at all. <laughs> I mean, really, they, they were they were formed to support the interests of rich capitalists and to mm. demonize the social safety net. One of the one of the ways they demonize it is uh, uh, they called it socialists trying to evoke Bolshevism, you know, and that's what they, they're doing to this day, demonizing socialism. But as Harry Truman said, they call anything that helps common people socialism. Mm -hmm. But. Mm -hmm. From that point, um, Evan, uh, the right wing evangelical church was, um, uh, was uh, uh, I guess, consciously aligned with the powers that be. It was enthralled uh, to uh, in the thrall of the um, of the of the capitalist, and um, and to this day, that's still the case. They're fighting progressive forces. They support maintenance of the status quo no matter how unjust it is and um they uh having there is a strong stratum of of racism and xenophobia um and i think it's fair to call them christian supremacists in that they are they want to um dominate the body politic and all political discourse to get folk to genuflect at the altar of their own narrow self-serving views. So that's what I, I see right-wing evangelicalism is. And it's a real threat to Christendom because in a sense it's anti-Christian in the sense that it, it 
what it espouses and teaches and, and promotes and the policies, policies it promotes are um, really the, the opposite of what the gospel calls for. You know, mm-hmm. if you're fighting against the social safety net that takes care of the least of these, that is antithetical to Jesus' message. It's anti-Christian, which is why, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, in the epilogue of, of the book, I talk about it being imbued with this spirit of antichrist or, or opposition to the teachings of Christ. And that doesn't mean all of them are aware of that, consciously mean to oppose Jesus of the teachings, the gospel teachings of Jesus, but that is what uh, their leaders um, are teaching and espousing. And that's why they could support the walking embodiment of the seven deadly sins in the person of Donald Trump, who is by every um, gospel measure, every ethical measure is an evil actor because he's opened a Pandora's box of evil, of hatred, racism, homophobia, you go down the line lawlessness, anti-democracy. And so, yeah, they are, uh, I would say, um, um, part, of, part of what characterizes right-wing evangelicalism is that they, um, they are anti-gospel in their theology and practice. What do you think that is of uh, um, these, you know, these very right-wing people that say that they are Christians, they're evangelical, and they they say all the 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 christianese things but they don't see that it's actually very anti the person of jesus so how what do you think that is that allows them to reconcile that yeah. they are doing the work of christ by being hateful and etc well you know i i, I the way i understand their beliefs that they are ideological ideological Christians, excuse me, in that their their Christianity is defined through the prism of what serves them. It's it's about their interests. And so they sacralize um, their own interests. And so what does not serve them, they ignore or they distort. Um, What does not serve their interests and uh, their desires, they distort or they ignore. And so you never hear them talk about loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, They don't talk about justice at all. Uh, And they they ignore those things. They ignore that um, Jesus, when he talked about the sheep and the goats, that uh, as you haven't done to the least of these, you have not done it to me. And so, you know, it's off you going to hell, you know, from Matthew 25. And they ignore that. They have to ignore that in order to to fight against the social safety net in order to, to um, be able to, to demonize people of color, to, um, poor peasants from South America, to, uh, their, their um, um, refusal to acknowledge the humanity of even um, brown children from across the border. Um, and you know they can't do that if they're paying attention to the, to the gospel. And what's enabled, what, but what it also enabled them is that you have this evil actor who opened the Pandora's box um, of, of malevolence. Um, and um, he has, through his, and, and I mean this, um, and, and I'm not being, I'm not exaggerating, I don't believe, but through his, his evil machinations, um, he has, um, 
he has normalized um, hatred, mean-spiritedness, and given them license to do anything, support anything that serves them, um, yet being able to do it in the name of Christianity. Very frightening and very dangerous. And, you know, I'm, I'm reading, been reading a lot about Hitler and Nazism lately. And keeping in mind that his ex-wife, Trump's ex-wife said he had Mein Kampf, you know, Hitler's mm -hmm. book on his uh, night table. Um, he seems to be, to be very, very consciously and aware and, and, uh, and uh, with much awareness following this playbook of Hitler. And that means that what that tells us that is that we're in just this very, very dangerous place, which so ironically and blasphemously is um, this dangerous place that we are, are in is the danger is being sacralized in the name of in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, most people don't seem to realize just how really dangerous this is. You know, when you have, uh, I think his name is John Kennedy, the miscreant senator, I think he is from Mississippi, who could actually say in 2022 without any shame and with any, out, any pushback from his colleagues to say that um, he's concerned about having a black woman on the Supreme Court because he uh, doesn't want anyone who doesn't know the difference between um, a, 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 a law book and a, uh, a retail um, catalog. Wow. I mean, he said that the other day. I mean, how could you? We could have never dreamed just a few years ago that that would be, that anyone would dare say that aloud anyway. But, but not only that, but not be, not have any pushback from the members of his party or from the church. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's that, that almost bespeaks the influence of almost metaphysical evil. I mean, I don't know that that's what the case is, but you know, evil is as evil does. I don't know about the metaphysical nature of it, but that's where we are, I think, and that's why it's so dangerous. Privilege is a uh, loud, powerful voice for a lot of people, I think. I don't know if that's the right image of it, but you know, privilege is very, uh, um, I don't want to say magnetic, but people, people want it, and they think that it's a pie. If I give some of it away, I'm going to have less for myself. It just seems like somehow, somewhere along the way, uh, right-wing evangelical Christians have have equated what it means to be a good American or American nationalism with what it means to be a good Christian. And they are they're in many ways diametrically opposed, but that is, you know, and the Christian nationalism is, you know, just a kind of mishmash of just American principles and, you know, patriotism and, um, and really no Christianity at all in, in the mix. It's just. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's Christian nationalism, right? They can conflated the flag and the cross. Right. And, and the flag, um, takes preeminence, right? Um, you know, um, our allegiance is supposed to be to the gospel, mm -hmm. but yeah. you know, they've they've added the 
the flagging, you know, nationalism. And, and, and they're not really even, pa- they're not even really patriotic because you don't see them trying to make the country better. It's like they're going, they're mm-hmm. going to take it back, take it backward. Um, they're not trying to make a more perfect union. Uh, they don't, you know, believe in the Declaration of Independence and, and all that. But you're right, there is a stratum of Christian nationalism um, you know, which is um, intertwined with, with white supremacy. And this is part of, of their faith. It's a blasphemous faith. Um, and it is like, um, it's idolatry in that they are worshiping their own, they sacralize their own desires, their own vision. And, and, and whether it is consistent with the gospel or not makes no difference to them. The fact that they're able to, to successfully conflate the flag and the cross is is very very is very very frightening, right? Because um, that allows them to attack the capital. That allows mm-hmm. them to 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 um, to fight against democracy. Yeah, it's it's a very very serious situation. Mm-hmm. I don't think most people realize how dangerous this really is. I read an article a while ago in the New York Times about how basically democracy as we know it is over because now people are have been given permission and encouraged, no matter what side you're on, to violently show their displeasure for the winner of the election. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and it's okay to ignore rule of law. Mm-hmm. You know, if it doesn't uh, com- comport with your desires, you can, you can ignore it. And this sick, evil person has, is normalizing that. Um, and to the point that facts don't, don't matter anymore. Truth doesn't matter anymore. There's no such thing as truth with them unless it's something mm-hmm. that, that serves them. It is all that it is it is all that is it's it's just absolutely astounding that we are there i heard a quote from uh, dr crawford loritz who's uh, a retired pastor in atlanta and he said uh that he get he got a lot of hate mail <laughs> when he said this but um when he when i heard him say it it was like a mic drop moment and he said uh, um he said we need to stop treating the constitution like it's the 67th book of the bible uh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they don't even know the Constitution, though. I mean, that's <laughs> what, what gets me. You know, it's well, go to the Constitution. What, what exactly are are you talking about in in the Constitution? But you're right. Folk wrote the con. Men <laughs> wrote the Constitution. Many of them were slaveholders. Um, they. Uh, they believed in the inferiority or at least the subordination of women. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's, I mean, there's no way that can be treated as holy mm-hmm. at, at all. But they don't realize that in God we trust and all that wasn't added until a couple decades ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so they, and they treat the founding fathers like they are some kind of founts um, of, divine wisdom, you know, we've seen the portrayals of Jesus standing behind them as they write out the Constitution and all of that crazy, crazy mm. stuff. Yeah, and, uh, mm. and you know, well, Sheldon Adelson's wife, you know, the, the uh, 
the uh, very rich um, casino owner, the late casino owner in Las Vegas, who was a major funder of Republican um, elections and of Donald Trump. His wife said that she looks forward to there being a book of Trump added to the Bible. Wow. I mean, we're, we're, talking, we're talking about folks who don't give a damn about their Bible, about their Christianity. It's mm -hmm. just something for them to weaponize against others. Oof. Well, you said they don't know their constitution. I would say they probably don't know their Bible either, because if they knew both of them, they would mm -hmm. know that saying that black people being three fifths of a human is not in line with their Bible and who, who God says that they are, who God yeah. says that you are. No, you're, you're so right. And one example of, of how of their manifest evil is what was mentioned uh, earlier by, by Christopher, and that was uh, the fact that they don't understand the basic Christian ethics. I mean, um, as you know, in the book, I talk about justice being the ethical concept that's that is used in the Bible more than any other in the Bible, 400 plus times. Um, and Sadaqah uh, translated as, as righteousness, but that's, uh, um, that's a misleading translation because it gives the impression of personal piety and the Bible's more concerned about social piety, social righteousness, um, doing right in society. And then when you realize that those two terms, mishpat, justice, sort of car, doing justice or doing right in society, that they are, that they are paired more, they are, uh, occur more in pairing throughout the Bible than any other pairing of, of terms, then you realize that together, these, these terms are foundational for the ethical witness of the Bible and you put them together, they, they, are, they effectively say social justice is the foundation. Yet we have John MacArthur, who was so well-respected in right-wing evangelical circles, um, who, right, he, he issued that paper, that 10,000 um, plus right-wing evangelical pastors co-signed that said that social justice is anti-biblical, that, uh, that it is a blasphemy. I mean, you, you couldn't be any more wrong if you try it's not possible mm -hmm. so what so what we see is they they misrepresent the very foundations of the biblical witness because it doesn't serve their purposes um, and so that's why i call them anti-christians uh, they're, they're just not consistent with the scripture at all and they weaponize it to serve their interests i, I think embracing social justice takes a laying down of what one's own privilege and setting yourself you know down to 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 help others and that you know that means the power that we that we have has to be set aside and that you know power is is what they're after so we can't so, set it down so it has to and and what they miss is that the Bible's concerned with the common good. Jesus' concern is concerned with the common good, right? Yeah. It wasn't no, up, up the Bible all the way, at least through the Gospels. And through Paul, 
to some extent, well, Paul's authentic letters to, the, to a great extent that it's all about the common good. It's not about individualism. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, you listen to them, they prioritize freedom and liberty. They don't realize that the biblical witness prizes above all else uh, responsibility, not freedom, responsibility for mm -hmm. others in society. Um, their, their notion of freedom is freedom from responsibility for others. Mm -hmm. And so in the midst of a pandemic, they can say, well, I have a right not to wear a mask. Well, wait a minute, if you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself and you can get COVID and give it to your neighbor if you don't wear a mask, I mean, I mean, how's that have anything to do with loving your neighbor as yourself? I mean, what kind of freedom are you talking about? You're talking about a freedom from responsibility to others. So to right-wing evangelicals, someone like the Good Samaritan is a sucker. Yeah. <laughs> because he um, put himself in, in danger um, or he put his own needs and desires as secondary, right? Um, and while he was looking out for someone else. And, and to them, you know, well, I have a freedom to not do that. Yeah, you do in America. But not if you say that you are a, a believer in the gospel. That's You have that gospel responsibility to be concerned about the community, others in society. And that means in your the policies that you, um, that you support and that you proffer as well and their policies are not about the common good they are not about looking out for their neighbors about when they talk about justice they mean just us just them mm. <laughs> that'll <Anyone> preach <laughs> <laughs> got that from richard Pryor back in the day <laughs> i think you know i think the only kind of justice that they are interested in is retributive justice as long as mm. the as long as they can punish people for whatever they decide to punish people for, that's justice. And that's the kind of justice that God wants. They think that. Um, yeah, that's a good point. And, but, you know, just to put a fine point on it, justice is an, a word they never use, just like they never use love. Um, and let's mm -hmm. say, quote John 3.16 as being the heart of the gospel. And Jesus never said it. He said, love your Lord, your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself is the heart mm -hmm. of the gospel, mm -hmm. you know, um, and in this, in, in, with regard to the, the horizontal axis of that, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that, that is the primary commandment he's given us for how we should live in the world. Mm -hmm. And that means egalitarian justice. That means wanting the same rights, freedoms, resources, good things in life for your neighbor, at least access to them for your neighbor as you want access for yourself and your own loved ones. And they totally dis dismiss that, totally dismiss it. Um, I, I think that, I don't remember who I heard say this, but I, I believe this is true now that, um, that those two commandments Jesus gave, love God and love your neighbor, they really went in the same thing. And, mm. and, and you know, Jesus was saying, how, how do you love God? Well, you love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that's a struggle to do. But yeah, that's that's mm -hmm. that should be our aspiration. You're so right, brother. You're so right. And that's what spirituality is. You know, the only evidence of spirituality is how we treat other people in the world. Um, but no, for them, what you believe is much more important than than how you how you treat other people. You know. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. A quote from your book that I. I it just sums it all up. 
Um, it says here, the true yardstick of righteousness is the degree of one's active dedication to the well-being of one's neighbors and the common good. Um, and it, it's not, do you have the right doctrines? It's how you treat your neighbor. Exactly. I guess let's, if we have some, we do have time. Let's get into the topic of abortion. Um, that's a always fun topic to talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I did, as you know, I, I said I grew up Southern Baptist, and um, but I never knew this. I learned from your book that um, right-wing evangelicals were largely indifferent to the subject of abortion until, I guess you said something sometime in the mid in the early '80s with the Moral Majority, mm-hmm. when they came in to play and somehow made it an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they made yeah. it like the that was what do they call them one. Uh, uh, single issue voters like I th- yeah I mm-hmm. think that abortion became like the uh, the issue for single issue voters back in mm-hmm. the um, almost like the litmus test of whether you're really a Christian or not right yeah and it so, started with the Catholics didn't it but now Catholics tend to you know be well I mean yeah more moderate but, yeah but you know the Protestants the, the right wing evangelicals really didn't take their cue from from the Catholics, because, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention um, supported uh, Roe v. Wade um, and made at least two um, public pronouncements of support, if not three. Um, And uh, it was, it didn't become an issue really until after, as Randy Balmer tells us in his his, his great book, Black Kingdom Come, said he was invited as a, as a young uh, evangelical scholar, he was invited to a meeting. He wasn't sure why he was invited to meeting with all these top level right wing evangelical leaders, like, and, and perhaps because they thought he was a fellow traveler and uh, a young mind that they could, uh, that they could influence. But um, they invited him to this meeting where they were convening to, to try to decide on a strategic issue to be used um, in their quest to dominate um, social and political discourse in America and really to dominate American society. And they came together and they decided on two um, issues. One was homosexuality. They used that as a wedge issue to whip up uh, folks. And the other was abortion, right? And that's when, abortion became a hot topic issue to the point that it's like the, the most important issue to, to so many of these people. But the, the, the irony of it is that the Bible does not deal with, with um, human voluntary abortion at all. The two places we see it, Exodus 21 verses 22 and 23 says that if a woman is pregnant and, and uh, men are fighting and she's injured and the, the baby's injured, uh, I mean, the fetus is injured or, or killed, that the punishment is uh, for the, the harm done to the woman is an eye for an eye. But with regard to the fetus, it's only a, a financial fine. So the Bible makes a distinction between someone living, walking the earth and the fetus. The only place we see voluntary abortion mentioned is... Numbers five, and what it talks about is divine abortion, 
because it says in Numbers 5 that if a woman, a married woman is found to be pregnant by a man who's not her husband, that God will punish her by killing the fetus in her womb. Right? Other than that, the Bible doesn't talk about abortion at all. Yet these people act like this is the most important thing. Not only mm -hmm. that, there's never been any unanimity um, in Christendom when a um, when a zygote or a fetus became ensouled or became a person. Um, mm -hmm. And if there was anything like um, a consensus, the consensus was when there was a quickening, when a woman could feel the child moving, that is when it was deemed to be, to have a soul and not be just, not to be a fetus alone. Yet these folk act like God said that from that a one cell cycle is a person. And if you abort a, a fetus, you're killing a human being and committing a sin. That might be the case, except the Bible does not say that anyway. Mm -hmm. But you see the horror, the irony of that? They make this, they, they hold up a value that they say is in the Bible that's not there, and they make that the most important thing it has, yeah. and it's not dealt with in the Bible at all. And yet Jesus did say what the most important thing was. Exactly. He said what <laughs> Yeah, but he's only Jesus. You know, he's oh, he's not right. he's not Trump, you know. <laughs> he, he's yes. not one. Of, one of these jack leg right wing evangelical uh, uh, preachers, you know, he's not uh, Paula White or, or Robert <laughs> Jeffries or, you know, right. Frank Graham. You know. Jesus needs to know how many steps down the ladder, you know, he's supposed to come. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I've I've heard people say to me that life, you know, if we can't if we can't protect the unborn, what else? What else can you know? What else is there? Basically, you know that. If we can't, if people can't even make it to to you know life, then what else is there? What's the point of uh, anything else? And and I, I and and so they just take that you know all the way through to the logical conclusion of now voting for someone as you know antichrist as Trump, so that they can get these judges that will protect um, you know pro life. Well, they can protect the unborn, going to right. but when they're born, there are right. they're not that con yeah not that concern. You see, I, I want to make it clear: I'm not pro-abortion. A lot, a lot right. of people are pro-abortion. Right. Uh, I would hope that know. nobody is like pro-abortion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and I think that everybody's pro-life. If it, it, yeah, if you want to be pro-life, be pro-life. You know, but these people are not. I mean, look, they're. I mean, their theology is a death-dealing theology, um, and they support um, execution by the state. They uh, all kinds of, of, of punishments. If they were, if they were pro-life, and they really were concerned uh, about life, they would have put in place policies mm -hmm. that would make it easier for women who feel they have no choice but to abort their fetus. Um, make it, it, it would, would ease the way for them to be able to, to carry a child the term and raise them um, mm -hmm. with, without being um, in poverty or, uh, right. or, you know, on, on and on. But, and and that, would, that would result in a lot fewer abortions. But, but there are women who just, they get pregnant, they don't mean to, 
and they don't see how they can support a child, um, you know, um, financially or emotionally at right. that time. There's just no resources made available to the folk to really uh, help, to really help, um, to really help folk have decent lives once they're out of the womb. And that's what's so, that's another ironic thing. They, they fight against the social safety net. They, they, they want to defund this and defund that, um, the kinds of things that would help, that would help, um, that would help women who are in financial distress uh, and that would, that would help their children. Yet they want to go, they want to criminalize um, both doing, taking desperate measures to try to, to try to survive. It's, 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 it's so sick. And what's so upsetting is that we on the, on the progressive side of, of Christianity are not fighting back like we should. We're not, the kinds of things we're talking about, that should be all out in the public sphere. That should be part of the conversation. It, it is not part of the, of, of, of the conversation. So I'm not pro-abortion, um, but I don't see how I have the right to tell another human being yeah. what to, not only what to do with their body, but to tell them what they have to do for the next 18 years of their lives if mm -hmm. I'm not, if I don't have a hand in, in trying to facilitate it. So how can I tell somebody what to do right. with their life and I'm not, and I'm, and, and I have no interest in it? I think that's the horror of the whole abortion thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and I want to clarify, when I say that I think everybody's pro-life, it's because I think that we should stop using the term pro-life. I think we should say pro-birth because I, yeah. I don't think that anybody is pro-abortion and I think that everybody is pro-life. And so that's why I think that we should, I think pro-choice and pro-birth, um, it's my opinion. But I do think that everybody's pro-life. And, and then again, like you said, kind of goes back to that social, like the, the justice issue of uh, if we are to uh, love our neighbor, like what does it look like? You know, we're, we're so focused on the unborn, like you said, to make them be born, but we're not helping the people that are here now to thrive. And we're putting up, um, uh, I can't think of all the, the words that are in my head. I can see all the images, but I can't make the words come out of my mouth, but we're not, we're not loving our neighbor that's already here, but we're, exactly. again, we're so focused on the unborn. Yeah. 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 You're right. And that's what they love the unborn because that's very nebulous. Um, they have, there's no response. They don't have to have any responsibility at all for feeding or anything. It's just, mm -hmm. No, no, let them be born. They're born, okay, sign our, you're on your own, bye. Yeah, you shouldn't have had sex. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> right, don't be human. Yeah, they, they get shamed for getting pregnant, but then they get shamed into keeping the baby, and then they get shamed for not being in a place where they can have a child. It's, it's it really is. It's and just, then get shamed for needing to use you know welfare yeah snap and wick and and everything that helps you know single mothers it's it's upsetting it, it it really is and so upsetting how they misuse uh how they misuse the bible and you know in so many ways i mean they misuse it uh um even you know with 
with the gun lobby, the NRA. I mean, uh, this whole thing about a God-given right, that's God-given right to have a, a, a weapon that is designed solely to kill human beings like an AR-15. I mean, to the point that they have church services to consecrate uh, AR-15s. Mm. Are you joking? No, I talk about that in the book. Yeah, I mean, it's... It, um, you know, I don't know how widespread it is, but a number of them do it. Um, and, you know, on down the line. And also, um, they are anti, essentially anti-labor. Um, unions are the only bulwark we have against the depredations of rich, you know, uncaring corporations and, and, and capitalists. But uh, yet, um, right wing, is a, uh, they oppose unions. Um, Billy Graham said there would be no snakes and no unions uh, in in heaven. And so we like he equated, you know, unions to pestilence. Well, they even they, they say that it's uh, it is a sin to stage a, a a strike because you're trying to make someone. It's almost like you're trying to extort someone to give you more more of their money. I'm like, wait, people who are fighting for a living wage, they are sinning because they are opposing the greed of, of, of a corporate corporation or a corporate actor. I mean, that's just, that's just sick. That against militates against looking out for the least of these. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and so, so I wanted to show, you know, a number of those things. I wanted to show just how, how perverse their anti-immigrant uh, stance is in that anyone who reads the Bible know that it is the girl, the immigrant, the stranger, it's translated often. Um, throughout the Bible, we're told that, you, that not only do we have a responsibility to look out for immigrants, those who are coming looking for a better life, but it is a sin to not take care of them to the point that I believe it's in Malachi that says that one of the reasons that tithing instituted was to take care of immigrants till they get on their feet. Yep. Most folk don't know that. They, so they come up, they, 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 uh, the right-wing evangelical leaders get away with it. Uh, because because most folk do not because they're not teaching folk what the Bible says about these these issues. So I wanted to to address so much of 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 the misinformation that's out no. there. Mm -hmm. I had a friend that was um, votes differently than me, and we were talking about um, issues like welfare and and all of that. And she said she said, well, it's actually it's not the government's responsibility to take care of uh, people in need. It's the church's responsibility, you know, yeah. which I would say goes back to like, I, I would say that's probably accurate in some ways, but cause especially talking about the, the reason behind tithing. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, the church isn't doing that. Yeah. And so yeah. Uh, the, the government in some ways is like filling in the gap for the, the church. Well, uh, but the government, throughout the Hebrew Bible, it talks about those who in positions of authority and governance uh, in their time 
you know, kings and princes in our time, elected officials, that they have a that they have a responsibility to look out for the poor, for the weak, for the widow, for the orphan, for the immigrant. It says that that those in power have a responsibility. Those in governance. The Bible says that very, very mm -hmm. clearly. Yeah. Um, now the um, and so those who talk about they want to uh, they want smaller government. Uh, to the point they want to be able to drown government in the bathtub. Who said that? The Grover Northwood said that. Um, you know, that's that's sick. Not only is it problematic, uh, I mean, one of the other ways it's pro problematic is that what they're saying is when they talk about shrinking government on the right wing, they're not talking about shrinking the military or, or programs that, um, and, uh, that, that they support. They're talking about cutting again services to those uh, on the bottom rung of the socioeconomic ladder. Mm -hmm. So they, they're just wrong <laughs> on, on, on both counts. But with regard to the church's responsibility, yes, the church has a responsibility to, to inform society, to inform the rest of the church, to inform Christendom, um, of, of the responsibility of individuals and institutions, but also to inform folk of responsibility of their government. Churches aren't, aren't doing that. Churches aren't standing up and saying, and saying that, yes, you do have a responsibility, uh, Mr. Elected Official. You do have a responsibility to look at, but we're not doing that at churches. So right-wing um, sensibilities and philosophy um, is winning. They are dominating the uh, in political discourse and, and, and dialogue because um, we are on the other side, aren't fulfilling the full measure of our responsibility to let people know what the Bible really says, what the responsibility really should be. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's on us as much as, as, it's, as it's on, I mean, the fault is on us, not as much as it is on the right wing, but we do have our own fault in it. And we have to accept that and try to change that. So what does that look like for us? I think that, like I tried to identify in Christians Against Christianity, that we have to ask the question, well, what then is the core of the gospel message? The core of the gospel message is um, what Jesus says it is in, in terms of uh, uh, social relations. The core is love your neighbor as yourself as an expression of loving God, right? That is first the core, because Jesus says that is the primary core. But then he also tells us, gives us what the primary mode of judgment, divine judgment and judgment that we should use in the social sphere for ourselves. And that is Matthew 25, 31 through 46, right? Um, as you have done it to the least of these, then you've done your duty, you know, to God, to the gospel, as you have not done it to the least of these, as you have not tried to make a difference um, in, in the world, um, as you have not tried to make a difference in the world, make a more just, loving world, and make sure people have what they need, to the extent you have not done that, then you have not served, um, uh, fulfilled your responsibility to the gospel. And that is, Jesus says that when he talks about the sheep, the goats, well, those who do who do um, look out for their neighbors, they're on God's right hand, they go into eternal life. 
But those who do not, um, in fact, by the way, Jesus, what the scripture literally says, that the just ones will go into eternal life, literally. And those who do not look out for others and try to make sure people have the basic necessities to have a decent life, that their punishment is to go to hell. That's the judgment that we're given. To me, together, those are the core of the gospel. Those, that's, those are our marching orders. How can I say that? Because that comes from the mouth of, of, of the articulator of, of the gospel. He didn't say that the core of the gospel is John 3.16 or anything else, right? And so we have to um, we have to raise people's consciousness that we have to call folk back to the basic gospel message and the basic ethics of the Bible. Articulator, most folk do not know. Most folk do not know that Jesus talked about poor people in poverty more than anything mm -hmm. else. They don't know that that's Jesus' main concern. And so if it's Jesus' main concern, it should be pretty near our main concern, too. Uh, <laughs> you know, but that's, you know, we don't see that in, in too much in church preaching or in <laughs> bylaws or, or anything. Um, so it's, it's on us to affect, like Martin Luther King said, uh, uh, affect a, a revolution of values. And we do that by mm -hmm. proclaiming as loudly and as widely as we can calling attention to um, the core of the gospel. And the core of the gospel is used then prescriptively and analytically. We use it, it, it should be used to prescribe what we do, what our policy should be. It tells us um, what our actions in society and common good should be. And it's analytical in the sense that um, um, those two principles, to, what they tell us is they, they, they give us a mode of, by which we can analyze our actions and the policies that we uh, proffer and support to see if they're really in line mm -hmm. with the ethics of the Bible. And that's, I mean, it's, 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 it's really that basic. But if we don't have a basis for, uh, for judgment, um, then what do we have? We just have a lot of loose sayings that give us room to do what we want. Um, and it's amazing that what Jesus says are the primary commandments that they're not even talked about um, unless they're overly spiritualized. We got a long way to go. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Aubrey, do you have hope in the future of America? Well, that's a hard question. I was just talking to my wife about that <laughs> earlier today. Um, in the near term, I think we're in, in great trouble. Uh, I think a couple things might turn the tide. Um, it looks like this January 6th um, commission is, is really ramping up and getting enough evidence to be able to show people, at least those who are on the fence, um, that Donald Trump really um, did try to overthrow the United States government. He really is an evil actor. Um, and, um, and that might take some of the momentum out of that, out of this Trumpism. Though I think Trumpism will continue to exist just like Hitlerism continues to exist because you know, people's hatred will continue to exist. That is a, a, a hope. There's a hope that this young generation um, 
um, they don't seem to have the same uh, the same blinders on to the same extent anyway, um, that they're more open to community. Um, hopefully, you know, th that will make a difference. But what this, <clears throat> this last six years since the Trump campaign began in 2015 has shown, seven years, I guess, shown that, um, that the white supremacist sensibilities that um, informed our constitution and that uh, have been around all this time that um, they're just not going to die. I mean, if, if, if this guy could come along and open the Pandora's box in just a couple of years, we have this, we have this, the, the same kind of hateful rhetoric that, was, that we thought had been put to bed half century ago, if it could be so easily resurrected. Mm -hmm. um, it shows that, you know, it's, it's much, it has a much longer lifespan. It's, it's much more deeply entrenched in society than one might have thought. And that gives me pause. Uh, you know, I think that, I mean, I mean, hopefully we'll be able to contain it again, but it'll, it just says to me, we'll always be here. We'll always be in a fight. So the question is, can we ever have a more just society? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, we take two steps forward, then we take two steps back. Maybe most we can hope for is that when we take steps back, we only take one. So we're still a little bit ahead of the game. And in a way, we are ahead of the game. You know, let's face it. But um, the freedoms that we fought for are too easily taken away. Uh, like voting, for instance, that easily. It's just taken away that easily. Um, and, Which unfortunately, Atlanta, where I live, was you know the first one to make news about it this election cycle. Yeah, yeah, it's sad. It's, it's really terrible. Um, Raphael Warnock is a dear friend of mine, and you know I looked at his campaign and all the racism he had to fight and hatred, and uh, you know you have a a great football player but an intellectual buffoon who's running against him. You know, who's uh, really socially backward. He's a backward character, but he's neck and neck and maybe a point or two ahead of, of someone like Warnock, who is a man of God, who's his whole career, he's been serving people. Um, he's articulate. He's in the, um, <clears throat> he's, he, he's in the tradition of, of Martin Luther King. He's not a wild-eyed radical or anything like that. And you have this, this, this buffoon who, who, you know, doesn't really have, you know, clear thoughts. Now, I mean, there's a chance that he might win. He might, I mean, this, this is, this is sick stuff. Um, yeah. And Trump has an opportunity to win. Yep. Like, and who would ever, ever thought, you know, so that's, uh, so am I hopeful? I don't know that I'm hopeful. All I know <laughs> is, that we have a responsibility to struggle against this evil. And um, I don't know what else to do. I, I have grandchildren, I have a great granddaughter and I want them, uh, I fear for their future, uh, I really do. And if I love them, I have to continue to do whatever I can do, how little or how much, whatever, mm -hmm. to try to make a difference. Yeah. Sad note, but that's where we are. We don't always have to tie a pretty bow on the end of these conversations. And it is uh, just a lot to think about, a lot for our listeners to uh, 
to hear. And, I, and I'm, I'm really excited that we had a chance to talk to you today about this. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, yeah. Thank you very much. And thank you for the opportunity to talk about you know, Christians against Christianity. And I wrote the book to try as a counterpoint to try to push back against the lies that are being told in the name of Christ and the destruction mm-hmm. that's being wrought in the name of, of Christ. And uh, so I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to share some of these, these thoughts mm-hmm. with you. So God bless you, my brother and my sister. I appreciate it very much. This has been very uh, uh, thought-provoking and challenging conversation. 